We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, and it's March 1st. And that means spring ball for Notre Dame is right around the corner. That means for us at Irish Breakdown, it's really time to ramp up our analysis and coverage of the 2021 football team. And the spring, of course, is going to be our first chance to see what that football team is going to look like. And it's an opportunity for the Notre Dame football team to lay the foundation of what this team is going to be. The personality, uh, what this team is going to be made of, its identity starts to get laid in the winter, and the foundation is really established during spring ball. And so anytime you have losses, and every team in the country has questions about their team going into spring. Those questions aren't necessarily concerns, although in some instances they will be. It's more about There's personnel losses, there's player losses, there's changes, there's things that are going to make this team different than the previous team. And the reality is, whenever you lose players or lose coaches, the next year's team is going to be different than the one before. Can the team still continue its winning ways? That's what we're going to find out. And today we're going to focus on the offense. And the offense is really in a situation going into the spring where You've had some very familiar faces playing for quite some time. Obviously, Notre Dame lost four starters along the offensive line. And those four starters have been together since the 2018 season as starters. Ian Book was the quarterback going back to early 2018. He finished his career with 35 career starts. He's obviously been a key figure in the Notre Dame offense. They also have to replace a couple receivers. And so there's personnel questions and there's some other questions that we are going to have to see answered as we go through spring. And so today's show is going to focus on really the five key questions that surround the Notre Dame football team 
as it gets ready to go into the spring. How effectively these questions get answered is going to go a very long way towards determining just how good this Notre Dame football team is going to be in 2021. We've seen the defense play well. We know the defense is going to play at a high level, or at least there's a, le- a there's a greater level of confidence that the defense is going to play well. But can the offense take that next step? Can it become the kind of explosive dynamic unit that Notre Dame needs it to be if they're going to be true contenders for a national championship? So we're going to dive into that right now, and we're going to talk about five key questions that have to get answered as the Notre Dame football team really starts looking into whether or not it can be a championship contender. And so the first question is, will Brian Kelly and Tom Reese open up the offense? Question number two, how will the offensive line shake out and will it continue to play well? Question number three, will the quarterback position make more plays in the pass game? Question number four, who steps up a wide receiver? And question number five, where will the leadership come from? Those are the important things that we have to discuss. And so let's dive into each of those one at a time. Number one, Will Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese open up the offense? Here's the reality. Notre Dame simply cannot keep doing what they've been doing on offense in recent seasons. They just can't. Notre Dame has been good enough on offense to continue to go out there and beat the teams they're supposed to beat. But as we've seen, when when there's a lot more on the line, the Notre Dame offense just simply hasn't been good enough. Uh, You go back to the Cotton Bowl in 2018. Notre Dame scored three points in the Cotton Bowl. This year in the ACC title game, they scored 10. Seven of those came late in the game when there was no doubt about the outcome. And Notre Dame only scored 14 points in the in the Rose Bowl against Alabama. And again, seven of those points came very late in the game when it was already decided and Alabama had pulled their starters. Even if you go back to November 7th, when you look at the Notre Dame 47-40 to 40 victory over Clemson, we have to be honest about that performance. Notre Dame scored 33 regular season, reg, regulation points Seven of those points came off of a defensive touchdown, and another three points came off of a turnover that the defense forced that allowed the offense to get three points, even though it lost yards on that drive. The offense did some good things in that game. I'm not going to take away from it. And in overtime, they especially did some good things. But the reality is, is that was a different situation of a, of a banged-up Clemson team that didn't have three starters on defense, didn't have its all-world quarterback, And even then, the offense for Notre Dame, although it made some clutch plays, it really wasn't good enough, in my opinion, to beat one of those big-time teams if they were even close to being at full strength. Now, they handled their business that day, but the other part we have to realize is that was more of an anomaly. Notre Dame has played Georgia twice. They've scored 19 and 17 points. It's not going to get it done. Now, against a team like Georgia, it was close to getting it done, but the reality is in both games against Georgia – the offense got the ball late in the fourth quarter with a chance to go out and in the first game, a field goal wins the game. And in the second game, a touchdown wins the game. In the second game in 2019, Notre Dame actually got the ball near midfield, actually inside midfield, and couldn't put a scoring drive together. So the reality is, is the offense just hasn't been good enough from a scoring standpoint. They have to open it up. They have to be more explosive. They've got the players to do it. So what does that look like? Well, for me, it's it's a couple, it's a philosophical thing more than anything else. You know, number one, I need to see Notre Dame push the tempo. Now, a lot of times when you talk about pushing the tempo, I think the 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 thought that people have immediately is, you know, Oregon under Chip Kelly. That's not what I'm talking about. 
Alabama didn't look like Oregon under Chip Kelly. Ohio State doesn't look like Alabama under Chip Kelly. Um, or, or none of them look like Wake Forest, for example, who's just trying to run a, a million plays. Uh, Ohio, Clemson doesn't look like that. Oklahoma doesn't look like that. None of the great teams, none of the great offenses are teams that are just going at this breakneck speed and just trying to run 150 plays a game. But there is a need to push the tempo. couple reasons for that. Number one, anytime you can push the tempo effectively, it forces the defense to do one of two things. Number one, it forces them in most cases to be more simplified in what they do. For example, look at the Notre Dame defense. Under Marcus Freeman, they're going to be a boundary field cornerback team. But against tempo teams, they're going to do more left-right. So you're going to be putting guys in situations where they're not necessarily accustomed to doing things. You force them to simplify. They can't make as many calls. They can't make as many checks. They can't make as many, you know, let the offense get lined up, see how they're lined up, what their personnel is, and then get a call made from the sideline. Teams are able to do that now. They're able to, you know, Notre Dame by going slower is able to get into more of a perfect call situation. But, hey, here's the deal. So is the defense. And in most teams, it doesn't hurt Notre Dame. But against the better teams that are not only talented but extremely well coached, it has hurt Notre Dame. And so you have to be able to push the tempo. I think number two, it allows you to spread the ball around more effectively. It allows you to create more ISOs and matchup situations because, again, you're forcing the defense to be more basic. The second thing that a defense can do is they can say, hey, we're playing a tempo team, but we're still going to make our calls. We're still going to get our pressures. We're still going to try to do things to, to confuse the offense. And sometimes that's going to work, but a lot of times what that ends up doing is that allows the offense to make even more plays. It, it will cause, because it causes more mistakes by the defense. The more they try to do defensively with your offense pushing the tempo, the more opportunity there is that they're going to make mistakes. Pushing the tempo also means limiting the scope of your offense. The, the fact of the matter is, right now, Notre Dame has way too much offense in right now. Uh, it, look, in today's era, you're seeing more and more and more teams go with less variation of, of concepts, and it's not just air raid teams. It's it's even a guy like Steve Sarkeesian who will run a lot of, of offense, but – it doesn't have nearly as much scope as what Notre Dame has. It's more about what we're seeing today from teams. And this is what's made the Notre Dame defense really good, even though, again, they'll carry a lot. I'd rather have my players be really, really, really excellent at executing five things than just being good at executing 15. And, and when you have the talent that Notre Dame has, that Alabama has, that Clemson has, that, you know, that, that, that Oklahoma has – if your players who are very talented are excellent from an execution standpoint at certain things, and then you can create some opportunities for them to make some schematic opportunities for them, whether it be with uh, running the same plays, but maybe you run those plays out of three or four different formations, which allow you to isolate certain players on the defense, which allow you to you know, maybe get a mismatch somewhere, which allows you to take advantage of that. Those are things that you can do schematically to, to, to hurt a team. But you're not doing it to where you're running, you know, 15, 16, 17 different pass routes from your one position, which then puts you in a situation where your younger players have a harder time getting on the field at certain positions, mainly wide receiver and to a degree quarterback. There's just so much that they have to know and understand that it, it almost necessitates that you play older players. 
that's something that has to change. Notre Dame has had multiple seasons where they've had very talented young players that they haven't been able to get on the field. And we hear all types of different excuses, traits, and all these different things, but that can't be true for every single guy that's come through. And the anomalies have been years like 2016 when Notre Dame played a lot of freshmen and sophomores, but that was a year where they only had one veteran, and that was Torrey Hunter Jr., and he got hurt in the opener and missed a couple games. So uh, the exception has been that. The norm has been young players at receiver simply don't get on the field much. Um, so that's got to be able to change because Notre Dame is recruiting receiver too well in recent seasons and has really throughout, beginning with Charlie Weiss, re- recruiting a receiver has not been a problem at Notre Dame for over a decade. So you can't really say that. Plus, they're loaded at tight end. There's plenty of pass catcher options. And if you can get some of those younger players into the mix to allow them to be more effective, it was Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts last year. It's going to be Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey this year, along with those returners. There's a lot of talent. You have to make sure that your system is predicated on having the ability to get your most talented players into some sort of role. Notre Dame can't do that because of how complex their system is. You can't just put a young guy in and say, here's the four routes that you know, go run them, because the system is built around being able to make adjustments on the fly, and that's a lot harder for young players to do. They need to bring RPOs back. We did a video at irishbreakdown.com and on our YouTube channel recently. We broke down what RPOs are, why they're so important, and what they can bring to the Notre Dame offense, not just from a pass game standpoint but also a run game standpoint. Notre Dame's yards per carry this year, despite having arguably the best line in the country, a really talented first team back in Kyron Williams and an explosive second team running back in Chris Tyree, who averaged almost seven yards a carry. Notre Dame's yards per carry average was way down. And when you throw in the fact that they had a quarterback that could run the ball a lot, the fact that they they ranked so well, so far below teams like, you know, uh, Alabama even and Ohio State in yards per carry, it's because they didn't have any built-in protectors for the run game. RPOs would do that. And then you have the advantage of stealing yards. You have the advantage of getting players isolated. You have getting the ball out quickly, getting quarterback into rhythm. 2018, Notre Dame ran RPOs a lot. Ian Book completed 70% of his passes, right? It's not a coincidence. When the less they started to do it, the less effective he became as a quarterback. That's not on Ian Book. That's on a coaching staff that went away from something that is such an, an easy thing to do, an important thing to do. There are other things they can do about the pass game, you know, pr- improving certain concepts, uh, different philosophical things that they need to do. But the fact of the matter is everything that Brian Kelly and the offensive staff have to do this offseason needs to gear, be geared towards developing an explosive, up-tempo, better-tempo is a better way of saying that, a better-tempo philosophy on offense. And it can't just be about, well, we're going to do what we're doing, but a couple wrinkles here and there. That's going to make your overall average look better, and it's going to make you score more points against Purdue and Navy and and Toledo and teams like that. But it's not going to really change anything for you when you go play the big boys, and that's where Notre Dame is. Look, we know they can beat all those other teams. since in tw- From 2015 and then from 2017 to the present, Notre Dame's like 51-0 against teams that finish unranked. We already know you can beat those teams. But you have a losing record against top 10 teams, and you're barely over 500 against top 25 teams in those seasons. So you've got to figure out a way to be more effective and more dominant against those teams offensively. And that's going to be a big key for Notre Dame. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand-new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. 
Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance in this program is limited, so get your application in today. Go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Number two is the offensive line. Number Question number one is who plays where? From what I'm hearing, Jarrett Patterson will, in fact, get a shot at left tackle, but he's most likely going to be limited this spring as he continues to recover from his his the foot injury that cost him the end of the 2020 season. But then what, who shakes out after that? I expect on day one of spring ball, I expect it to be sort of a Patterson at left tackle, uh, Dylan Gibbons at left guard, Zeke Carell at center, John Dirksen at right guard, and Josh Lugger at right tackle. That's what I expect it to be sort of on day one, but I think it's going to change a lot. And then what happens after that? Uh, is Andrew Kristoffa going to get a chance to battle for a starting tackle job? Do they move him inside, like Robert Hainsey talked about in a recent one-on-one interview with him, where he actually thinks Kristoffa could be even better inside? Well, there's bigger needs at guard than there are at tackle. Can Quinn Carroll maybe be a guy that pushes for time at tackle, which then maybe moves Josh Lugg inside? Or is it a situation where you know Quinn Carroll's still kind of grooming to be that next guy, and he goes he, and, and Kristoffa goes inside, or maybe Kristoffa stays a tackle to provide depth, and Quinn Carroll moves inside to compete at guard. Michael Carmody is he going to get a chance to make a push this spring as, as a redshirt freshman? And then of course Notre Dame has two extremely talented early enrollees along the offensive line, Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler. How will they play? That's a big question mark. There's a lot of talent on the offensive line. And in some areas, there's experience. Josh Lugg now has, I believe, eight or nine starts under his belt. Jared Patterson has two full years, essentially, of starting experience. Dylan Gibbons even started the game last year. He started the Syracuse game. Zeke Carell has two starts, and he played two starts against two pretty good football teams playing against Alabama and North Carolina. So there's some level of experience. But I also think there's a lot of young talent that needs an opportunity to shine. Offensive line is one of those positions where experience is even more important than it is maybe for a skill position. So how quickly will those young players grow up? How much of an opportunity will they get this spring? I would love to see Notre Dame open up most of these positions to competition, if not all of them. Look, Jarrett Patterson's going to start somewhere. We know that, right? But if Tosh Baker has a great spring, especially with Jarrett Patterson Limited, and he's clearly ready to kind of play, then then maybe you move Jarrett Patterson somewhere else. Maybe you move him back to center. Maybe you move him to right tackle. Maybe you move him to guard. I think Jarrett Patterson playing somewhere other than center would be great for him. Uh, number one, I think he can handle any position at a high level. I think he could be just as good at tackle as he was center, if not better, and it helps him from an NFL draft standpoint, right? So that's a, that's a win-win. But it doesn't have to just be left tackle. Maybe you like Tosh Baker so much that you say, hey, we need to get him in the lineup, but we want to keep Jarrett Patterson the left side. So you move Tosh Baker to right tackle, and then that gets you to j- bump Josh Lugg inside. 
I think that even though Gibbons and Dirksen might be the starters day one in the spring, I don't think it's a guarantee or a given that they're going to be the starters come the end of spring. And in fact, I'd be a little surprised if both of them were there. So do you want to solidify the tackle spots and then figure out guard? And how does that look? Is that going to be Tosh Baker moving and Josh Lug moving? What is it going to look like? So then once your tackle situation is figured out, then that allows you to then move some guys inside. So if if Notre Dame says, okay, look, Jared Patterson is going to play tackle. Josh Lug is going to play tackle. Tosh Baker is going to be a tackle. So then you take one of Christopher Quinn Carroll, move him inside to guard. Let him battle for a starting guard job. You, you take Michael Carmody and the two freshmen, Rocco Spindler and Blake Fisher, and you allow them to battle. And then, because I think with that, you know, Zeke Carell is going to be a junior next year. He started two games. I think there's going to be a a growth in his game from an experience and leadership standpoint. You've got the veterans at tackle. You're in a situation where you can groom a younger guard if the need is there. Maybe it's a situation where, like we saw in 2017, where you've got two guys that can play that position. And we saw with Robert Hainsey and Tommy Kramer at right tackle. So maybe it's a situation where a veteran starts at guard and they work a Blake Fisher or a Rocco Spindler or a Michael Carmody in every other series or every third series, something along those lines. So a lot of those things are going to have to shake out. And that's just about who's going to line up where. The next question is, how effective will the line be? Will they be able to go out and play at a high level? I don't think anyone is or should expect this line to play like last year's line. That unit had over 120 career starts when the season started. This team won't, this group won't even have 40 career starts. And the vast majority of starts they do have are from one guy. He has over half of the career starts. That's Jared Patterson. So how quickly can this line get up to speed? Number one. And I think back to question number one, I think those two, te- two things tie together. The nice thing about a tempo RPO filled offense that does a lot of the things that I'm talking about from a quick game, a screen, a, a getting in the right call all the time with an RPO is it takes a lot of pressure off your offensive line. Simplifying the concept to where maybe you, you emphasize more versatility and more diversity from a, a personnel standpoint, a formational standpoint, while also pushing the tempo, but then lessening the number of plays that you run, that could allow your younger players to get adapted more quickly. Because look, here's the deal. If you're running inside zone or outside zone, the blocking doesn't change for the offensive line. Really, if you're an 11 personnel, 12 personnel, 10 personnel, 21, 22, whatever you're in, for the most part, your concepts are going to be the same. I either have a guy outside of me or I don't. And those rules are the same. So there's a lot of different things they can do while simplifying the packages for the the offensive linemen to allow them to then focus on smaller package, greater focus on execution, greater focus on tempo, greater focus on playing a... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed physical vertical game and less emphasis on needing to know a lot of different things. So I think a simplified yet focusing on explosiveness offense takes a lot of pressure off the offensive line and allows them to play at an even higher level than you would before. You cannot ask them to carry the team like you asked the 2020 offensive line to do, like you asked the 2017 offensive line to do. And like you really asked the 2019 offensive line to do, and they weren't capable of doing it enough, and that's why your offense was a little bit more inconsistent that year. So they got to figure that out, and how that gets answered is going to is going to go a long way towards determining how good this team is going to be in 2020. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Question number three is about the quarterback position. Now, I could have said who's going to start at quarterback, but to me, I don't really care. Uh, to, I'm a, I, I actually think Jack Cohn can do a great job, and I know there's a lot of skepticism about that. I think Jack Cohn is a lot more talented than his numbers at Wisconsin suggest, and I think Notre Dame fans are going to see that. I think Tyler Buckner is an extremely talented freshman quarterback. I think Brandon Clark has some physical tools. I don't know if he has the feel for playing quarterback, but if that light goes on with the physical tools, he could be a productive player. And and I think Drew Pine can execute an offense in college at a very, very high level. I'm confident in Notre Dame's talent. The experience isn't necessarily there. And even the one experienced player, Jack Cohn, started one year at Wisconsin, and he's got to learn a new offense, a new teammate. So there's not a lot of experience there, but the talent is there. And so if we go back to our original premise of simplifying things and and focusing more on explosiveness and tempo and matchups and isolations and less on about just the the volume of plays and concepts that you have week to week, uh, which is more of an NFL thing than a college thing nowadays. I'm confident that the quarterback position is going to be fine from a talent standpoint, no matter who steps into the starting lineup. The question is bigger than that. The question is bigger than who starts. The question is whoever starts. Is that guy going to be allowed to be more of a playmaker? And then if allowed to be more of a playmaker, will he be able to effectively execute at more of a playmaking level? It's about being more efficient with the football. It's about being better decision makers. It's about getting the ball out on time. It's about being willing to take more chances. That's one thing I really like about Jack Cohn. That's a very underrated part of his game is in a conservative offense at Wisconsin, a very conservative offense at Wisconsin, he was willing to take chances. And with receivers that weren't as good as the guys that he's going to be working with at Notre Dame, outside of Quintez Cephas, I don't know if he was thrown to anybody that's going to be playing in the NFL as far as receivers and tight ends. And Jonathan Taylor obviously was, is, a, is a 
very talented NFL running back, but he didn't catch the ball a whole lot, and it was mostly screens and checkdowns. He's going to have a lot of weapons to work with in Notre Dame. If they open the offense up, if they allow him to, to spread the ball around to take more chances, I think Jack Cohn could be a very, very good quarterback. And I feel the same way about some of the younger players. But it's got to happen. And, it, and as coaches, you have to create an environment to allow that to happen. I think one thing that has happened in recent seasons at Notre Dame, and this is something I think hurt Ian Book, the, there's been such an emphasis on not making a mistake on offense that at times Ian Book almost looked paralyzed as a quarterback, especially in the bigger games where you can't make a mistake, you can't make a mistake, you can't make a mistake, so he just doesn't even try a throw. And and that's what a lot of people say. You know, you'll watch the game say, well, you know, he was hitting guys when he threw the ball. Well, the problem isn't what happens when he throws it. The problem is that he just doesn't throw it enough. And there were plenty of opportunities where Notre Dame could and should have taken more chances, but they didn't. I don't necessarily blame Ian Book for that. I think that was more of a product of the culture that Brian Kelly has created on offense. And I think he needs to be willing to allow for some mistakes. Look, a quarterback taking a shot down the field on second and 12 or third and eight and getting picked off 30, 40 yards down the field, to me, isn't a whole lot different than punting the football, right? So I want to see those chances because, look, you're going to turn the ball over a few more times. If you're a more aggressive offense, it's going to happen. But I believe when you have talent and if you coach that team upright, that is going to be balanced with and exceeded by the fact you're going to make so many more plays. Deshaun Watson in 2016 is a perfect example. Media people, analysts, they just just shredded him because he made, I think he threw 17 turnovers that year. But I would love for somebody to count the big time throws he made compared to the number of turnovers he made because you're going to find that his turnover to big play ratio was really great whereas at Notre Dame and I'm having an article about this soon the number of big time throws that Ian Book made was small and not because Ian Book didn't have the arm talent to make some of those throws it's he just didn't try them and so those are the things that I think that you need to see from the quarterback position is more playmaking and and focusing mostly on the pass game I know Ian Book was really exciting around running around. Brandon Wimbush could do a lot of things when plays broke down, but they've got to get better at making more plays in the pass game on a more consistent basis and not, not just the big bombs and the go routes. That's not what I'm talking about. It's you know being willing to fit that ball on first down into a tight area, being willing to bang those out cuts, being willing to take some of those one-on-ones on the outside. You want to basically make it to where teams are stuck. If we go one-on, if we go man, they're just beating us on the outside all the time. And when we go zone, they're just picking us apart up the hashes and over the middle all the time. That requires a quarterback to have some guts, and those guts have to be allowed to come out. And Ian Book showed a lot more guts as a runner than he did a passer, and I don't think that's because of him. I think that's because of, like I said, the culture that was created at Notre Dame, which is don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake. You have to find a balance there. And I think as Notre Dame tries to find that, it's going to allow their quarterbacks inherently to start making more plays. Question number four, who steps up at wide receiver? Now, let's just dispense with this notion immediately. Talent is not going to be an issue for Notre Dame at wide receiver in 2021. Experience should not be an issue for Notre Dame at wide receiver in 2021 because that is one position 
Whereas experience is not as important as it is at others. Now, I'm not saying there's not value to being experienced. I think there is value to having experience, but it's not an end-all be-all the way that Notre Dame does. That is more of a Notre Dame philosophy problem than it is a problem with the Notre Dame young players. When Clemson won the national title in 2018, they had a true freshman quarterback, true sophomore running back. Their best receiver was a true sophomore. Their second best receiver was a true sophomore. And he was their best receiver in the postseason. That would be Justin Ross. So, yeah, those guys were incredibly talented. But you're telling me that Notre Dame's players are just so, – there's such a gap that they could go from being dominant at Clemson to just not even seeing the field at Notre Dame? Not an issue. Now, the coaches have to make changes from a philosophical standpoint. they got to coach differently. they got to coach better so that they can get themselves ready to go out and, and allow the young talent to flourish. That requires a philosophical change. On the player level, there's got to be changes there as well. There's got to be improvements there. Let's start with Kevin Austin. Now, part of the issue that Notre Dame had in 2020 beyond the philosophical problems was some of the older players that they did want to play were banged up or injured. Kevin Austin got injured before fall camp. That limited what he could do. He was not back very long before getting injured again. They didn't really have him this year. They were going to use him. He's going to be a senior now. He's got to grow up as a player. He's got to continue making the good decisions off the field that he's been making as he's matured as a young man. And it's time for him to step up as a player. He, to me, is a wild card on this offense. If Kevin Austin finally steps up and plays this potential, he's got a chance to have a really breakout season. And it's not unheard of, even in recent memory, for a player to kind of go from basically an afterthought to being a difference maker. We saw with Miles Boykin. Miles Boykin, I think, had 13 career catches going into 2018. Kevin Austin has six or seven. It's not a huge difference. Of course, Miles Boykin was a very big part of Notre Dame's undefeated season in 2018. And that was while splitting catches with a guy like Chase Claypool. So, Kevin Austin has the size, the athleticism, the playmaking ability. He's a guy that can do damage one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, there's no – that he can do things where he can stretch the field. He can do play – make plays after the catch. He can work the middle of the field. He's got a very diverse skill set. You just have to be able to find ways to fit it in at hopefully multiple positions. Another veteran that has to prove to stay – he can stay healthy is Braden Lindsey. Now, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I don't think Brain Lindsay's a 60 to 70 snap per game guy. I think he's more of a 30 snap a game guy, which allows you to keep him fresh, but then to utilize him in different ways that, that allow his skill set to flourish. I think a Lawrence Keyes is a veteran that they need to find a role for. Those are four guys that have playmaking ability that, and really Keyes and Lindsay have, sorry, that's three guys that have playmaking ability. And to me, two of those guys, Lawrence Keyes being the other, have shown the ability to make plays. Kevin Austin, the Navy game made some plays, but that was Navy. You know, but the talent is there. Then you look at some of the younger guys, Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, Lorenzo Styles. Those guys will all be here in the spring. We'll talk about Deion Colsey more in the summer uh, when it's closer to him being on campus in Notre Dame. But when you look at those other players, there's a there's a diversity at receiver this year that they haven't really had as much of in recent years. There's some size with Kevin Austin. Joe Wilkins has some good size. 
Jordan Johnson isn't big, but he plays bigger because he's got really long arms and really good ball skills. So you can use him in some of the one-on-one type of things you've been using George, Javon McKinley, and other players to do in the past. You've got some after-the-catch kind of guys. Obviously, we talked about Lindsey and we talked about Keys. Xavier Watts brings some of that. you got to utilize him. Allow him to be a guy that can make plays with a ball in his hands, whether it's at the boundary receiver, the slot, or the field. They need to move him around and find ways to get him the football. He's too athletic and too strong and too good of a football player not to utilize. My concern is that they're going to – some of these younger players, some of them are going to play and then others are not, and they're going to get lost in the shuffle. They all need to play. They all need to find roles. Lorenzo Styles brings a skill set to this to the offense that it doesn't have a lot of. He is similar to Lindsey in the things he can do, but I think he's a stronger athlete and he's more capable of playing more than 30 snaps a game when, when his time comes. Lindsey – can't be more than that just because he hasn't been able to stay healthy, not because of any other reason. So right there, we talked a lot about a lot of young, unproven players, but there's a lot of talent there. Then you work in Avery Davis, who is a, a weapon that Notre Dame should use more. When given the opportunity last year, Avery Davis is a really good football player. Made big-time plays against Clemson. Uh, is a guy that, to me, can work the middle of the field, can can work the zones, can stretch the field, can do damage with the ball in his hands. He's a guy that I would use in a wildcat situation from time to time because he was recruited to play quarterback. There's a lot you can do with him. So we listed all those players, and really we didn't talk about the guys that will be here in the fall. Obviously, Deion Coles, we mentioned, didn't mention Joe Wilkins a whole lot. There's a lot of talent at the receiver position. They only need like five of those guys to step up to varying degrees. They only need one or two to step up as big-time players, and then the rest can just be you know good rotational role players. That's what Alabama had this year. They had their stud in Devontae Smith. Jalen Waddle, when he was healthy, was that way too. But then they had a, a really good number two, but not a stud in John Mechie. And then they had a, a guy in Slade Bolden who was sort of just a, hey, this is your role. Go make plays when your opportunity comes. And it, as a unit, they were outstanding. Notre Dame has the weapons to have a really, really good receiving core this year. It requires philosophical changes. It requires scheme changes. It requires those young players to step up and play better, and it requires Coach Alexander to do a better job of developing the entire roster as opposed to just coaching the veterans and the guys in the rotation. That's an area where he has to improve. So if they make the changes that need to be made, I think we could see a big break and a big jump out from this group, and and we've seen it before. 2014 was a receiving core that was unknown. Will Fuller had six career catches. He broke out. C.J. Procise broke out. There's a lot of different things that happened in 2014 that allowed them to have a productive group of receivers. We saw the same thing in 2018. So I think the talent is there. We'll just see if, number one, it's used correctly, and then number two on the player level, if those guys step up. And those are going to be big questions as we as we head into the spring. And number five, where will the leadership come from? And this is one of the more interesting aspects of, of building a new team every year. Last year for Notre Dame, it was easy. It, it was the perfect – not easy. It was the perfect situation for Notre Dame in a difficult time. The easy part was identifying who the leaders were. That was the easy part. The hard part was relying on those leaders to get you through a really tumultuous offseason that unlike any we've ever seen. And Notre Dame had the key ingredients for that. You had Ian Book coming back as a third-year starting quarterback. You had Robert Hainsey 
as a two-time captain. You had Liam Eikenberg. You had a lot of veteran players that could step up and be leaders on offense. Well, they're all gone now. So who steps up and fills that void? I expect Jarrett Patterson to be one of those guys. He was considered the leader of the offensive line on the field. I think he has a lot of leadership characteristics, but he's not going to be full go. I think Kyron Williams is going to be an emotional leader this year. Is he able to then become more of a a, a full-time leader? That remains to be seen. That's going to be part of his evolution as a player. Can Avery Davis have enough of a voice to be that? There's a lot of guys that could be that player, but it's not as natural of a secession to that leadership mantle as we saw in past years where you know, once Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson left, it was easy. You had Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer. Once they left, it was easy. You had Robert Haynes. You had Liam Meikenberg. I don't know if there's as much of a natural pass-off there. And then, of course, a quarterback, somebody's going to have to step up and lead, but that doesn't guy, that guy doesn't have to necessarily be a captain. So that void is going to have to be filled, and that a lot of times can be the key ingredient to being a good 10-2 and two team or a team that makes another run at the college football playoff. So the leadership aspect is an interesting one that 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 a lot of teams go through this time of year, and it doesn't always shake out the way you think as a coach. Sometimes you think player A or B is going to really take hold as a, as a leader, and it's just not natural for them. Sometimes they just don't say the right thing or do the right thing, or they just can't handle that. Other times it might affect their play. Sometimes it's just not in the guy's personality. Other times you don't think a certain player is going to step up, but then in workouts, in meetings, on the field, he's just constantly taking a leadership role because it comes natural to him. He sees the vacuum, he sees the void, and he fills it. And that's kind of the fun of, from a coaching standpoint of building teams in the offseason is to see how that's going to shake out. You have to, as a coach, create opportunities for leadership to emerge. You put the team in tough situations, and it's not just the SWAT captains and things like that. There have to be opportunities where you create stressful situations, where you create challenging situations, and then you sit back and watch, okay, who steps up? Who handles this? Who handles that? And then from that, you start to see leadership emerge. And it has to happen in a lot of ways organically. You could try to force certain guys into it, and, and sometimes that'll happen. But sometimes you'll force guys into leadership roles that they're just not cut out for and it doesn't work. You have to allow it to happen organically in a lot of ways. You create the environment, but then as far as who those leaders are is sort of the organic part of it. So that's kind of that final piece for me when I look at the questions about the Notre Dame offense heading into the spring. I'm confident that they have what it takes to answer all five questions, not just positively, but extremely well. I think this is a team that returns a lot of talent, I think this is a team that returns a lot of potential, a lot of depth. The question is, is will players that get an opportunity step up and seize that opportunity? And will the coaches make the necessary changes to kind of come up with the modern era? LSU was in that situation a couple of years ago. They made the changes and the results were phenomenal. We've seen other programs make those changes and it's panned out. Notre Dame has the talent to make those changes if they have the willingness to do so and they and they stick to the convictions of doing so, then I think this could be a very fun, exciting, and explosive Notre Dame offense in 2021. 
So that is going to be it for today's show. Thank you for listening. Uh, Vince will be back with me tomorrow. We're going to talk about uh, – I'm going to have another show about key questions on defense, but then Vince and I are going to be doing a running back preview coming up here very soon. And, of course, on Friday we will have our live mailbag together. So always be ready for that. Make sure you're subscribed to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the notification bell down there uh, to let us know that uh, – or so that we can let you know when we have a new show out. If you listen on uh, on Apple Podcasts and the other, if you get a chance to give us a five-star rating, we'd appreciate that so that we can continue to expand our audience. And, of course, make sure you check out irishbreakdown.com. So for Vince D'Addario, who is not with us today, I'm Brian Driscoll. We will be back with you again tomorrow for the Irish Breakdown Podcast. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.